Grace, mercy, and peace be yours from God, our Father, and our risen Lord, and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our text for this Easter sunrise is from the Old Testament reading appointed for this morning, the 15th chapter of the book of Exodus. After having been brought safely through the waters of the Red Sea, and having seen the Lord drown all their foes in the wave, it's written, Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. So far our texts, dear friends, in our Lord Jesus Christ. On the first Easter morning, as the sun's first light broke over that Easter scene, standing there weeping before the empty tomb, was Mary Magdalene, who stood on the salvation side of the sea, and she didn't even know it. I suppose that the metaphor salvation side of the sea isn't a metaphor that you've probably heard before, especially not on Easter morning. Maybe not. But it is, I tell you, entirely fitting, especially for an Easter morning. Someone once observed that the motif or the recurring theme in Scripture is the exodus, the mighty deliverance of God's people from their Egyptian captivity. And it's not a stretch to say so. In fact, the afternoon of Jesus' resurrection, recall, while the newly risen Christ walked and talked incognito with those Emmaus-bound disciples, Luke tells us that Jesus, beginning at Moses, And all the prophets expounded to them the things in all the scriptures concerning himself. Luke goes on to say then that that very evening, the night of the resurrection, after vanishing there from the Emmaus table and appearing to his disciples, he appeared to his apostles and he explained that everything written about me, he said, in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled further. Elsewhere, Jesus said to the Jews, if you believed Moses... You would believe me, for he wrote of me. Can it be that concealed in the very real and historical events that Moses helped lead and then wrote of, can it be that God was therein prefiguring the spiritual reality that would come to pass on a Sunday morning at a newly vacant tomb? that he was prefiguring the spiritual reality that would come to pass in the life of a simple woman named Mary from the town of Magdala and in the lives of countless others who this Easter morning stand, as it were, with Mary at that tomb. Can it be? Well, consider. Moses wrote of a people too many to number under a captivity too long to remember They were your average men and women, even children, just like you and yours. But they'd never known anything but their bondage because they'd been born into it. Now surely many tried to free themselves by doing good work, lots of good work. But in the end, no matter how hard they worked, they never could meet the quota that was demanded by the law. They made bricks and the Pharaoh said more. They made more and the law said, now supply your own straw and make just as many bricks. You can imagine, I think, the hopelessness of that situation. But here's the truth. 
You don't have to imagine it. Because you were born into it. That's your born spiritual condition. That's what scripture says of us in our born spiritual condition. That we were as good as dead in sin. Just like they were as good as dead in their born condition. Scripture says of you and me in our, in our natural condition. It describes us as a slave to sin. As confined under sin. Condemned under the law it says. Entangled it says in the yoke of bondage. Under him, scripture says, who had the power of death, the devil. You don't have to imagine, do you? You don't have to imagine the hopelessness of the situation. You've lived it. You've lived it whether you've known it or not. Now working themselves raw, surely, often our human hands will try to, try to work their way out of sin's captivity and into heaven. By the number of good bricks... Good works we might fashion. That's to say that, that we'll fashion, we'll shape good things by what we do, by virtue of what we might say, in the hopes, really in the delusion, that we might amass enough to meet what's required of us. But the quote is never met. Be perfect, says the standard, as your Father in heaven is perfect. Whoever shall keep the whole law, says the quota, and yet stumble in a single point, is guilty of the whole thing, the whole law. You don't have to imagine, do you? For you know that as Scripture says, no man is justified by the works of the law in the sight of God. Why? Because all have fallen short of the glorious standard of God. The early church father named Origen, I think he put it awfully well. And he summed it up well. He said, When the children of Israel were in Egypt, they were afflicted with mortar and brick for the works of Pharaoh, the king, until they cried out in their groaning to the Lord. He says, When we were also in Egypt, I mean in the errors of this world and in the darkness of sin's ignorance, we then did, by virtue of our natural born condition, we then did the works of the devil. But he says, The Lord had pity and sent his only begotten Son, to deliver us. And so he did. So he did in the fullness of time. When the time was right. God sent forth his son. Born of a woman. Born under the law. To redeem. To ransom us. Who were under the law. And quite frankly. Moses wrote of that too. Didn't he? Even if he didn't know it. For Moses would write of a deliverance that would come by the blood of a lamb. Now you know that this lamb, this Passover lamb, sometimes called the Paschal lamb, you know that this lamb wasn't just any lamb. The lamb chosen had to be without blemish, without spot. It had to be a sound, it had to be a choice, a perfect offering unto God. It had to be a male, didn't it? It had to be a young male. And without a bone in his body broken, it was to be slain, wasn't it, at the close of the day. And it's blood, it's precious blood. It was to be applied and to mark the dwellings of the people so that death wouldn't sweep them away. But so that death would pass over them. I think you can imagine, can't you? You can imagine what must have gone through their minds that... 
And put yourself in their shoes. What must have gone through their minds that first Passover to behold that chosen lamb as it was led before them to slaughter, as it processed before them to the place where it would die. Imagine what must have been in their thoughts then, that night to hear the audible sadness of those all around as death swept over and did its thing, and yet to know peace within their walls because of the blood of a lamb that marked their doors and their homes. Imagine how it must have cut them to the heart and must have forced them to pause in a moment of gratitude when in the dawn they emerged from their dwellings, ready now to leave captivity, and there to see that lamb's blood stained on their doorposts, and to know that it's what saved them from death that otherwise would have carried their firstborn away. Imagine. But the Easter truth is this, that you don't have to imagine it. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. You don't have to imagine what it was like to behold the chosen Lamb of God led to slaughter, striding on to where he'd die for you. You beheld it, didn't you? This past week, you beheld it. As we followed him in palmed procession, and then to the upper room, and to the garden, and to trial, and to the altar of his cross, you don't have to imagine what it's like to know the peace that resides in your dwelling because you're marked with the blood of the Lamb. You don't have to imagine what it must have been like to know that it's the Lamb's blood on the doorposts of your heart that saved you from an eternal death that otherwise would have swept and carried you away. You don't have to imagine it, do you? For behold, the Lamb of God, Scripture says, that takes away the sin of the world. Behold, Scripture says, you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver and gold from your aimless conduct inherited by your forefathers, but it says you were redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus Christ as of a lamb, it says, without blemish and without spot. You don't have to imagine, do you? For behold, Scripture says, he was delivered up because of our trespasses and was raised because of our justification, our being declared right and righteous and forgiven in God's sight. That's the reality. That's the reality that we mark today. Jesus Christ, our Paschal Lamb, has been sacrificed and by his resurrection, the triune God has declared his sacrifice fully acceptable for all people of all time. And thereby, he's declared you justified. Christ's Easter resurrection, its divine validation that over sin, as, as those people on the seashore saying, he has triumphed gloriously. You might wonder, did Moses write of an Easter moment? I suppose the answer to that question is no. No, because Easter is not simply a passing singular moment in time only to be remembered, but it's a new life. 
in an ongoing life, in a continued life to live and to enjoy a forgiven life. In the risen and victorious Jesus Christ, that's why this Easter morning is as triumphant as the first Easter morning. For Jesus is just as risen today, and no less, just as risen today as he was that day. The angel, remember, outside the tomb, asked, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Friends, he's still not there. He's still risen. And as eternally long as Jesus Christ lives, and remember what Scripture says, Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. As long as he lives, his death and resurrection will be our life's strength, our daily strength, and it will be our song. In this new life, it's yours through the waters of baptism. For Scripture says, don't you know, that as many of us as were baptized into Christ's death, as many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore, Paul says, we were buried with him through baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead, even so we too then shall walk in newness of life. But didn't Moses write of this too? For having delivered you by the blood of his lamb, hasn't the Lord now marked you and drawn you out of your captivity by the sea, by the waters of the baptismal font? Through these waters, hasn't he made for himself a holy people, you included? And having been baptized through the waters that unite you to Christ's freeing and liberating death and his resurrection, don't you stand today on the salvation side of the sea? Can't you today look on every sin and every accusation that would chase you and pursue you? Can't you look on them with the same confidence in which the baptized children of Israel looked on those that pursued them? For what did Moses write but this? The waters returned, he wrote, and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the army of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them, that pursued them. And then he adds this, not so much as one of them remained. Not so much as one of your sins remains to convict you. Like the horse and rider that he's hurled into the sea, So the prophet Micah says that the Lord's cast all of our iniquities into the depths of the sea. Therefore, in this new life, you forget what lies behind you. Just as God's Old Testament people did standing there safely on the shore, you too forget your former life and the sins that lie drowned behind you. Forget what lies behind you and press on now in the wilderness. Press on in the strength of the true bread from heaven, the true manna from heaven. Press on to what lies ahead of you. A promised land. A heavenly land. Just as real for you as it was for them. Indeed, I say better. For as scripture says by baptismal faith, if we've been united to Christ in a death like his, 
then most surely we will be united with him and enjoy with him a resurrection like his. It's not at all hard to imagine, is it? How readily the people of the Exodus standing safely there on the salvation side of the sea, it's not hard to imagine how readily they would have sung with all of their voice, the Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. But you know the Easter truth. You don't have to imagine it. That song, that strength belongs to you. And so in our festival service this morning, later this morning, in our festival service, we, his Easter people, will raise our voice as one, like they did. And we'll shout the same song, the same words as they did to our God. We'll sing of him whose blood set us free to be people of God. We'll hear of the mighty work that our God has done for us. We'll thank the Lord and we'll sing his praise knowing that he recalls his promises and he leads us, his people, forth in joy. And we'll kneel or we'll sit or we'll stand that we might partake of the feast of feasts, the one that the Passover so patiently waited that it might see its day. We'll kneel, sit, or stand that in the Lord's high supper he may once again paint the doorposts of our hearts with the blood of his Lamb. And I tell you, that's no small thing. For to paraphrase ancient churchman John Chrysostom, if the mere blood of the prefiguring Lamb had so much power that when, this, when sprinkled on the doorposts, death shuddered at it, the, the, the prefiguring? How much more so, he asks, how much more so is death in terror of the real thing, the very blood and the body of Jesus Christ, which today will be applied to you? Friends, because Christ is risen now and evermore, Because he is today and every day foot to foot and shoulder to shoulder with Moses and Mary Magdalene, you and I, we stand on the salvation side of the sea. Join with me now in raising the strain. A blessed Easter to you.